Welcome to What's Your Story Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Story. On this pod, I sit down with people of color leaders to understand how they've been able to use their superpowers to make an impact on our world. And I do it one story at a time. Okay, my, my guest on the pod today is a former NFL player turned corporate strategist and investor. And I'm fortunate enough now that I get to call him a teammate at, at Visa. But please welcome Copeland Brian to the show. How's it going? How's it going, everybody out there? How's it going, Matt? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time. Before we jump into your career journey, your professional journey, and, and hopefully a little bit of your personal journey, would love it if you could just help the audience get to know you a little bit better, understand your background, and maybe share a, a glimpse into what Little Copeland may have been like. Oh, Little Copeland. He's an interesting fellow. I guess, uh, let's see, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is kind of like always my bet like being able to just make something out of nothing. So I guess a good story to tell you is when I was in middle school, me and a few of my friends said, you know, we loved everything like creepy, scary horror movies. We loved camping. We loved all of that. We decided we were going to start doing haunted houses, right? Hmm. And so fifth grade, I, unbeknownst to my parents, my parents didn't know, you know, they never <laughs> talked about these plans beforehand. You know, we had, we had devised the whole plan, had been like saving up money, collecting, uh, collecting props, collecting all these things. And the week of Halloween, we spent an entire weekend turning my uh, parents' house, the side yard, the backyard into wow. a, a giant haunted house for the, for the neighborhood. So like, <laughs> like my dad's like nail gun where hey, we had like extra tarp lying around like nailed this tarp to the side of the roof down to the <laughs> to the to the fencing you know like we had like strobe lights in there put a flat tarp on the windows dug holes in the backyard filled it with uh padding from the carpets from like you know the padding you lay down under carpets covered it back up with dirt so people yeah. had like these little sinking holes and we just did a did did an outrageous really honestly i wish i wish back then we had like how kids have their cell phones, Instagram, yeah. everything now, because it'd been, it'd been great to document. But, um, you know, I mean, 25 years later now, and the neighborhood still talks about the haunted houses. We, <laughs> we did, we did it for, we did it for quite a few years. We kept doing it, um, up until like sophomore year of high school. But yeah, that first year, my parents were definitely like, oh, you guys dug up all these holes in the yard. You guys, <laughs> like, you didn't tell us. But yeah. by the next year, we, we had them involved. They had my mom popping out the windows all over the oh, house wow. and people walking around and stuff. So yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Collaboration and uh, building something from nothing. That's my thing. Yeah. I, I could definitely see there was a lot of planning. There was a lot of uh, coordination working, you know, cross-functionally with your friends, you know, all the, all the, all those things we talk about as strengths now, but I will say as a, yeah. as a parent, that definitely scares the life out of me <laughs> <laughs> to, to just think about yeah. coming out one day and seeing that on the side of the house and, and what to, to your point, it sounds, it sounds like it worked out in the end, but that, that is definitely a great view into how you were building your character, even, even at an early age. Did yeah. you, did you have any idea or had thoughts about, you know, the, the age old question, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, it, it's, I, when I was growing up, I, I definitely, you know, had some very firm ideas of what I wanted to be. I, I loved space. I loved planes. I loved everything to do with aeronautics. So my initial plan as a child was, you know, every kid wants to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an astronaut. You know, I wanted to I wanted to work at Lockheed Martin, like work in their skunk works, you know, or work at NASA. That was my whole thing. I was really about it. 
So wow. had the had the ISS when the ISS was getting built, had like the models, had like the posters okay. on my wall. You know, I loved Legos. I was like a little engineer, so I was like always building, you know, all sorts of different like shuttles, things like, oh, this is what I'm going to build one day. This is, you know, but that's what I wanted to do. Lying on the roof of the house, staring up at the stars, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So how, how did your, you know, community that you grew up in, whether it's family, neighborhood, what have you, how did they influence that and kind of literally tell you you could reach the stars? You know, um, so I come from a family of engineers, you know, my dad, one of the, like he worked with Steve Jobs before Steve Jobs was Steve Jobs. So when computers were first getting built, we had a house filled with computer equipment. I mean, the old school, the decks, everything that they were using to build computers with. So it was kind of cool because I got a kind of an intro into engineering, math, and science from just being at the house, being around my dad, getting to take things apart, figure things out, you know, and that kind of just at least set me sort of a little bit down that path to being able to realize like, man, this is possible. You know, this is possible to be in this world to, to, be working on technology as high end technology. I mean, at the time that was all cutting edge stuff. Um, so it, it really gave me that view of like anything is possible. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So you ended up attending university of Arizona and I was doing a little bit of research. You, you walked onto the football team. So yeah. I, what led you there? And then what did you take away from that experience? Because usually you know, you, you hear someone ex NFL retired NFL player, they tend to be, Oh, I went to this school. Then I did this and I went to this, but I think, I think your path was a a little bit more. Um, it required a bit more, I'll say grit to, to get to that level. So can you walk us through what you took away from that experience and how you built on a lot of those lessons you you picked up from your community? Yeah. So like you said, I was a walk on, you know, I actually went to Arizona because they had a great aerospace and mechanical engineering program, you know, on that path to be uh, to be working in Lockheed or NASA or whatnot. Uh, that's what I went there for. That's why I got into the engineering school. And while I was there, you know, I had been an athlete all my life. So mm-hmm. I wanted to keep that going if I could. Ended up walking into the football offices with the VHS tape. Um, <laughs> I, I date myself when I say that, but um, <laughs> at least it's not a Betamax. Uh, okay, so yeah, walked in there with a VHS, you know, saw a coach walking by and was like, hey, I want to walk on the team. Like, you know, you think I could? He took me in his office. We watched the tape. He was like, all right, yeah, like we could invite you to walk on. Um, you know, that was a crazy experience. I mean, like you said, so many guys who make it to the professional level have a very similar trajectory to getting there. They were highly recruited. You know, coming from high school, they were a top dog at their college for a long time. But yeah, that wasn't my experience. So was unrecruited coming from high school. Um, honestly, wasn't even much into football uh, hmm. as far as watching the game or anything. Yeah. Uh, my parents are immigrant. My dad's an immigrant, you know, so soccer and track is kind of thing in our household. But yeah, it, uh, it definitely took it. it being a walk-on at you know collegiate level, especially a big college like that, the first instinct everybody has is that you don't belong there. Um, you know, so there's a there's a greater challenge to try to prove yourself. You know, you always are kind of, you know, as as black folks, people say that thing about you have to work twice as hard as the competition. Um, you have to be aware because you know it, it's 
I'm not going to take very much to think you, you to see you as a failure. And it was like that sort of thing. You had to be, had to be a hundred percent all the time, give a hundred percent, always be perfect on everything you did. And for even less accolade. So that first year, you know, all these guys are getting training table, getting fed, getting their scholarship checks. I'm shoot. I, I'm not getting any of the resources they have. I'm working in the engineering department. There's no academic advisors, tutors working with me. There's no food. There's no money. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a harder road. And definitely some of those experiences and some of the lessons I took from that carried on throughout everything else, just like that hard work and determination that needing to give it all, all the time, but there's no real time that you can turn off. That's pretty much kept with me throughout all of my life. Yeah. So what, what was the, the pivot point where it, be, where it went from, I want to continue the sports thing to actually you seeing progress, you seeing kind of the recognition ended up being a, on scholarship and, and having that access to, you know, continue forward with your, with your, your journey. You know, luckily enough, my parents have blessed me with great genetics. Uh, <laughs> I, I might not have been highly recruited, but you know, they're, Hey, they're, the, the sports game is a political game just as much as it is an athletic game. I might not have been recruited, but I definitely had the body, the build and the speed to be a top tier athlete. So once I had walked on and once I had gotten a chance to be at practices and be at workouts and coaches to really get to see what I was capable of, it, it didn't take too long for them to buy into it a little bit. By my, by my second year, I had earned a scholarship. You know, it was one of those things where coming out of practices and everything, we had some injuries and, you know, the coaches were looking like we need somebody to step up and do this now. And they had some guys who, you know, they had brought in who were top tier talents and they knew they couldn't trust them to put out there. So they ended up putting me um, in a game my second year against Cal, I believe. And I killed it. I did really, really well. And coming off the field of that game, you know, our head coach, John Makovic, you know, say what people say what they want about John. They weren't fans of John for a lot of different reasons. For me, John was willing to give me a chance and I really do appreciate that. And he recognized the skill level and coming off that field, he told me, you earned yourself a scholarship. So it was a big deal. My parents were very happy. Right. <laughs> they had to help yep. me for school. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but yeah. It's, it's interesting um, what you, what you laid out there because I, I'm a firm believer that there's parallels from, you know, obviously highly visible sports arena into all walks of life, whether it be corporate, whether it be your home or, or anywhere in between. And the idea that someone saw the capacity of what you were capable of and you showed up and showed out and, and you were able to deliver and then be rewarded for that. I, I think there's just, you know, a lot of times, and especially in sports, you know, I, I, I think back to people make those decisions of like by high school, you know, oh, this person can't cut it. We're going to go with this person. And then people just give up. And and the fact that you were resilient enough to say, hey, I kind of want to stick with this. And then someone saw it in you and said, okay, there, there's something here that I think that's just a, it's a great moment for people to look at of like, okay, if you, if you really truly put your all into something, you can get through and push through some of those obstacles that may be in front of you. So you, you, you obviously at that point, I, I'm, I'm not sure like if professional was even in your realm of what you wanted to do or even thought was possible. So how did you go from, okay, now I'm on the team, I'm, I'm killing it to, okay, I'm gonna make that next jump. 
Yeah, so, you know, like I said, growing up, for lack of a better term, I mean, I was a complete nerd. I didn't watch professional sports. My family actually laughed about it all the time because my brother, my younger brother, he was all about it. NBA, NFL, everything, collecting cards, like knew all the stats. Me, I was like movies and astronauts, you know, like I didn't any of that. So going to college, it certainly wasn't on my radar, the idea of ever playing professional sports. And even once I had earned a scholarship, you know, I was just excited to play. I loved competing. I loved working out. I loved being part of that, you know, and trying to just personally beat, personally competing with myself. you know and you know unfortunately at that time in arizona we weren't doing particularly well we had some up years some down years we kept changing coaching staffs head coaches so that's another thing that kind of keeps you really from being able to realize that goal kind of you don't really think about it because it's just so tumultuous Mm -hmm. and you're constantly having to prove yourself to a new head coach coming in i mean i went through i went through three different head coaches during my time there so yeah honestly it didn't even present on my radar until my senior year, you know, first game of the year, getting a sack, forcing a fumble. Then we played USC and this would really put me like, really like made it where people were like calling me now is, you know, Winston justice was a huge recruit. Everybody was touting Winston justice is going to be this big deal in the NFL, big tackle out of USC. And that was the year at USC when, you know, Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, like they were killing it, went out against USC and, you know, forced, forced Winston Justice to have to get three holding calls on me, you know, nearly sacked the quarterback three times. Cal the week before sacked the quarterback three times. So now Mel Kuyper was talking about me on TV and everything. And it was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, so the NFL might be a possibility. Yeah. Honestly, prior to, prior to my senior year, it was not something I had actually thought about or considered, you know, engineering. I had waved goodbye to engineering, unfortunately, because of the scholarship, because once they were paying for school, I had some hard decisions to make between where my time was going to be allocated. So I choose to lift engineering uh, and got into poli sci. And I was thinking I was going to go to law school. Hmm. So that was really what I was thinking up until, up until that USC game. And all of a sudden it changed very rapidly. So. Wow. That's pretty cool. So I, I asked your cohort mate, Cam, this question, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but those of us that haven't had that fortune of experiencing professional sports, those of us that watch it and, you know, kind of think we know what, what is happening or, or, you know, I play fantasy football. I know everything there is to know, uh, not to say that that's me, but what would we be surprised to learn about the league and what most people probably have no idea, either what it takes, what it, what you go through, what are the experiences that those that are a bit more removed from those rooms and those fields of play have no ideas happening or, or is going on? I'm curious what Cam's answer was, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to hear on his, on his episode. You know, I, I don't know if people realize how much of it is a business. I mean, truly, truly, you think, you know, it's a game, you think it's about competition but it is a business it is a money-making endeavor and there are so many different so many different um motivators for different people that there's there's a lot of politics and so not always is the right man for the job the man who's chosen for the job you know you think it's meritocracy i mean for a lot of it you know especially like at the starter level it is but Honestly, everything else, once you get below those 
those starting, you know, those top 10 or so guys on the team, it, 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 it's not necessarily meritocracy. There's a lot of things that go into it. How much are people paid? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how commercially viable they are, all sorts of things like that. I don't, I don't think people realize. And, you know, again, coming from my level of being a walk on and then being a guy who, you know, was not drafted, but on the back end, I was, I was, I was, I guess, what do you call it? I was a priority free agent coming into the NFL, you know, like I was called by every team about getting drafted, like during nearly every round of the draft, but to the regular people outside, you know, you're just an undrafted guy. So I, I remember the story in Buffalo, which it's interesting talking about this publicly. My third year going into Buffalo, I had a sack force fumble every single preseason game. And when cuts came up at the end of the year, at the end of the se- preseason, you know, GM head coach brought me in the office. They were like, you made this team, but we can't put you on the team. They had drafted, they had drafted a DN in the first round that same year. And they had drafted a DN in the second round the year before, both of whom they all knew I could outplay, you know, in a heartbeat. But they were like, we paid these guys so much money, you know, as much as you are our third guy, you're the best guy for the job. We can't keep you on the team. Wow. You know? So, um, and it was off to Detroit, but you know, it's just yeah. one of those yeah. things that people, people don't realize that that's, it's like that. So, and it was funny too, cause with those guys, that first that, that guy who drafted round one that year, he was gone off the team the next year. And so yeah. was the other guy, you know? Yeah. So it's just, you're, you know, just because you're not in the league, just because you, you know, don't land a team, things like that doesn't mean that you weren't good enough or weren't the best guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's fascinating. And I, I want to use that as kind of a pivot point because you kind of have to get in where you fit in based on that. And it's less of like, oh, I showed up, I was the best person. It's more of where's the best situation that I also can be integrated into. When you when you recognized that it was a business, how did that affect your planning? How did that affect what you were thinking about as like, okay, these are the things I need to put into place for that longer term, you know, maybe law school comes back into consider, or maybe some of these things I previously had put on hold start to come up. How, how did you, how did you approach that side of it? I mean, definitely the next team I went to was Detroit and this was, you know, right after the, the real estate bubble bursting and everything like that. Um, luckily I had a little bit of experience with uh, real estate investing coming into that, but I, I started thinking like, well, what else do I need to, you know, how else can I position myself for success, not just with football, but with everything else outside of football and keeping it on, on keeping on topic with football. That's when I started realizing you need to try to make yourself, it's not just about how well you play. You need to try to figure out other ways for you to show up and be valuable to the team marketing wise, you know, the intelligence wise, like how you can show up with giving reports on team scouting, everything. So really like, changed the way I started pursuing my football career, um, but also had me looking at things outside. And like I said, that was when the bubble burst and I started looking at real estate and trying to think of ways I could grow the money that, you know, I had been blessed to be able to earn over the last few years playing football. I had this nice little cushion, nice little nest egg, you know, how could I deploy it? Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of, it, it's the idea of personal brand. and 
that was almost a differentiator. If you had that brand, you were more valuable to the teams. So you're able to build it on the field, but you were also building it in your in your personal sector as well to have both of those ed, in in play, which is I, I think really smart because you know I won't I won't generalize, but a lot of folks, especially people of color, are taught if you work hard, you will be rewarded by an organization at, at any level. And that's not always the case because just because you're working hard, that doesn't mean the higher ups know you're working hard or they know what you're doing. And having that brand to to pull from is, I think, really important. And the earlier you build that personal brand, the better off you are. So like, I, I, anytime I talk to someone that's in high school, college, I'm like, hey, if you have time, build a blog, build a podcast, like, like get your, get your brand out there early so that when people start looking at you, there's this like track record of stuff. Well, I just like, I mean, that's, that's such a big thing. I wish I had even learned that earlier than I did. You know, social media wasn't a huge thing towards social media was just kind of, you know, birthing when I was at the tail end of my career. And I really wish I had had a chance to capitalize on that when I was in college. I mean, the things you can get done now, building a brand is so much different than then. And these guys, these younger guys now are very fortunate to be able to have that opportunity. Um, they should make the most of it. Yeah. So, cause you only get so many, so many chances to really strike at that high level um, yep. and stay there. You got to make the most of them when you have them. So. hundred percent. So what was your, I'll say transition or how did, how did you go from, Okay, I'm I'm probably going to hang up the cleats. Then I'm going to move into this next space. What what did, what was that process like for you, and and how did you approach it? You know, football is such an interesting sport. With most other sports, there are so many other avenues to you pursue, like to keep playing the sport. You know, you know, if you're not if you can't find yourself in the NBA, you know, there's the you know you can go overseas play. Same thing mm-hmm. with baseball. There's so many different things. Football, there really is only the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. there's the CFL, but you tried, there's a couple other leagues that are trying to start up here. The UFL was something at my time. You know, the, the hardest thing about the sports game, especially football is you don't, usually you don't really know when you're done. Mm. Um, because it, you, for most guys, it doesn't end on your terms. Yeah. You know, mine was an injury and the thing about the injury was I still felt like I was really good to play coming off that injury. And it was, will I get a shot? You know, will somebody pull me up? Will somebody give me a workout? Should I go try to do the CFL? Should I go try to do the UFL? You spent so much time guessing and trying to, you know, strategize on a way back to it. I ended up, I ended up playing in the CFL and the UFL as well. And it's one of those things that if I could go back, I I wish I could have just, I wish I had chased it so hard to continue to play that kind of set me back a little bit and it, it made my decision-making processes. It, it affected them. I, I couldn't make the best decision probably for what would effectively move me to, you know, some stronger, some stronger occupational points outside of football. Yeah. Uh, had I been able to do that earlier, but yeah, coming out of it, you know, you do, and you, you also deal with that kind of a little, I was, I was lucky in the sense that I wasn't, I had always seen myself just as a football player. It wasn't what I always wanted to do. Yeah. So, I didn't suffer as much through the loss of identity that a lot of guys do coming out of athletics. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big transition. Most people have spent 
you know, at this point, you're 23, 27, 28, you spent over half your life playing this sport and being conditioned to be this person. Yeah. When it's gone, it, it's very jarring, very yeah. abrupt. And the money is also gone. So that's also jarring and it's also abrupt. And so I, I really feel for a lot of guys who have to go through that transition without the support network, the family, the background to be able to, to know what else can become next. Now, I, I, I was at least lucky that I didn't suffer through that as much. But the one thing I did have to deal with, um, the one and the one thing I was never really taught a lot about was networking. That was a huge thing for me and a huge, uh, huge learning curve for me, trying to figure out how to build, a, you know, the brand was one thing, but how to build the personal network to get you to the next level. Because it's not just about you knowing how to do something. It's also yeah. about who you know who can help you <laughs> get it done. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's that's really, it's interesting. So there's a couple of things you said I want to pull out. So one was the idea of identity and how you were fortunate that you didn't identify only as the sport or the the football player. And I think a lot of us are guilty of that. I mean, you go to, you go to LinkedIn and look at how people describe themselves. And, you know, a lot of people describe themselves, I am project manager of X, Y, and Z. And if that's how you think about yourself or that's how you limit yourself, when that's taken away or when that isn't going well, you aren't you aren't going well. And, and I, and I think you have to think about the layers to yourself. And it sounds like you had a good support system to help you really kind of both from an early point, but also as you're going through that transition period, how to, how to work through that. I definitely think the networking piece is really important and it's not just networking so that I can call someone. It's like, how do you build that community? How do you have people that are really good at the things that you are interested in or, re- or know the person that's really good at the things you're interested in? I, I, you know, I frequently tell people I've never cold called for an interview in any job. Like literally it's always been someone said, Hey, you, you might be interested in this. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe they weren't the hiring manager, but they were able to direct me to someone that was the hiring manager. Yep. And that's just through the simple fact of having you know, spit time with people. So they don't, they don't just know your name, but they actually know when and why to call you, which I, I think is important. And then lastly, I, I would say, you know, again, there's a, there's a cohort and how we were introduced is, is through you and a few of the other gentlemen have joined visa as part of the, you know, NFL rotational associate program. And I've been really impressed by you and your peers in that the, the diversity of experiences that you bring to play. And I think that you guys are some of the most well-rounded individuals, not just because you played a sport, not just because, you know, you kind of reached the pinnacle of professional leagues, but because you have all these facets to you that are like, I'm interested in this. you like, you described it as being a nerd, but it's to me, as I'm hearing your story, it's like, you were just interested in a very vast amount of things. And because of that, you show up with all of those things, as opposed to another person that maybe said, you know, they set their hearts on, I want to be a, you know, corporate strategist. And they went through a direct path to get there, but they didn't bring all those other experiences. So, you know, I, I may say you, you're grading yourself a little bit difficult on that one, because as I thought about, you know, some of the things you've been able to do, I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. And like, wow, he, he like simply the fact you, you know, you do acting and, and, you know, your speaker and like all these other things that I don't know your peer set has done that type of thing and can pull from that type of thing, which I'm sure benefits you and gives you a, an opportunity. But 
again, I don't, I don't know if, if you see it that way or if you've been able to benefit from it in that way yet. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, I think so. You know, I try to, parents always taught me to stay humble. So I try to stay <laughs> humble about all of that, but, but, you know, like there is definitely a, a diversity of experience uh, that has allowed me to be able to be, what's the best way, you know, my manager on uh, the last team I was on when we, when we did our exits, he was like, man, you are able to thrive in ambiguity mm. so well. And I, I think that's a part of it, you know, um, just such a vast, vast array of experiences have made it so that, I mean, just about anything that's going on, I can, I can make it work and kind of parlay into it. So, I mean, shoot, it's, it's like, you know, we, we do tech partnerships and mm -hmm. I was able to get Visa to sponsor this charity event in LA. Um, and next thing you know, they asked me to give a speech and, you know, like that's out the blue, like a couple of yeah. days before. So like trying to come up with that and be able to do that in front of, you know, 300, 400 people, like a Senator, a governor, you know, like mayors of LA and stuff, you know, I, that's, if I didn't have a diversity of, if I didn't have like the acting thing, if I didn't have some of those different pieces, that would have been a much heavier lift. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, so, so I I do want to use that to switch to the brand of Copeland for a bit, and I have thoughts on this, but I'm curious, what would you say is your superpower? Again, because of that diversity of experience, it's allowed my mind to be able to like, I, I guess the best way to describe it is like, I am great at connecting dots. That is my superpower, being able to pull from all these different experiences. Because, I mean, these different experiences, one, not only do you have do you have comfortability operating in certain spaces, but you also develop different patterns of thinking and learning in these different spaces, which allows you when, you know, someone's presenting a problem, most people, like if you're just a project manager or you're just marketing, you attack it from just that one lens. When you have a bunch of different areas that you can pull from and look at it and conceptualize something, you know, it's like rather than looking at it 2D, you're looking at it 3D. And that allows me to connect a whole bunch of, you know, separate pieces. And it brings just a, just a, yeah, fuller solution set to problem yeah. solving. And that's definitely, I mean, just since I've been a visa, that's been, that's helped me really well in a couple of projects already. So. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would agree with, yeah. I'd agree with that a hundred percent. And I think the, the interesting thing in, in our number of interactions we've had is I, I think you have that creativity of solution finding, but also with kind of the resiliency of like chasing it. And cause, cause some people can be idea people and just come up with the idea and say, okay, I don't know what to do with this, but the fact that you can take the range of your experiences, come up with a creative solution and then actually see it through, I think is a unique thing because you sometimes have executors and then you have people that are idea people. But if you can combine those two in a way to really get things done, I, I think, it, it, you know, obviously the, the sky's the limit. What, Absolutely. How, how do you think, because again, like going back to your family, I was just impressed by, by how many people that have actually played professional uh, football in, in your in your close knit family. But then also, you know, hearing about your dad and hearing about how you grew up, how do you think they've contributed to making you uniquely you? Yeah, again, man, I have to thank my parents for just the diversity of experiences. Both my parents grew up poor. My mom grew up in Baltimore. She was one of fourteen children. You know, my dad in Jamaica. Um, having to kind of bounce around and have different 
different family situation, very unique, hard to describe family situation, but them also being so resilient and such hard workers. You know, my dad immigrated to the U.S. for college and, you know, was a brilliant, brilliant in math, decided to come to California as soon as Silicon Valley sort of started taking off. Like I said, was working with Steve Jobs when Steve Jobs got kicked out of Apple and Steve Jobs had started next. My dad was right there with him. It's funny. I have like old VHS tapes of Steve Jobs talking to them and hanging out like in the garage that I should probably like did it like people would be interested to see them. But, you know, and my mom, she was in the theater. She went to college for theater, but then came out with my dad and got into Silicon Valley as well and was working at, working at a Siemens, you know, was managing a tech group there, but also started an African-American theater ensemble. You know, which she still operates. She works at Intel now, but still operates. Her second job is this theater company that she directs, acts, produces, you know, everything. So just the diversity I got from just their job sets, mm-hmm. being able to, you know, walk these, walk between worlds. And then having a family, my dad's side, the Jamaican side of the family, being so international where we were going, my grandparents live in London, you know, families in Jamaica. We have some family in the Netherlands. Like we've been all over the world to visit family. Um, you know, my mom is on the East coast in the South, everything. So it's just spending so much time traveling the world, getting different perspectives on people, different languages, just all of that mixed with the different experiences with work and occupations and what's possible. Like, I, I wouldn't be the person I am without any of that. So yeah, you know, like all those interests, different interests wouldn't be there if it weren't for that. So, yeah, I hear the, it, it definitely, as you're describing your parents, it's like the apple did not fall far from the tree. I heard diversity of perspective, diversity of experiences, being able to make a way out of, you know, what would seemingly be no way. So it's, it's very consistent. I'll say with how you shared your own own perspective, how you navigated so I'm curious, have you had a mama, we made it moment? <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know if I've had a, a psychological one yet, like really, really, <laughs> but def- definitely we've had, we've had some very close ones. You know, obviously okay. my rookie season with Chicago Bears, we played in the Super Bowl. Okay. So, you know, so my parents were there in the stands, you know, I mean, that was definitely one of those moments that, you know, I just pull up, I got my NFC championship ring somewhere around here. That, that was definitely, that was definitely one of those kind of moments, you know, especially coming from Arizona, which as great a football school as we have been at times, we weren't, we weren't going to no bowl games while I was there. <laughs> so, you know, to, to go from no bowl games, walk on to in the Super Bowl, like watching Prince do the halftime show, you know, you know, parents in the stand, girlfriend in the stand, like that was definitely like, Oh man, like I, this is a different level, you know, like I got to hang out with Serena Williams and Connor the other day. (laughs) I got to, you know, like, so me and Lil Wayne got kicked out of club. Like this is, you know, this is definitely a, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That, that, that definitely classifies. So I'm going to continue on that thread. Hopefully have a little bit more fun when they turn your life story into a movie who would you want to play you on the big screen? Oh man. I mean, who could be better at playing me than me? You know, hire me, give me the paycheck. So, you know, cause then I can get an Oscar and then we can, then we can yeah. really have a mama. Yep. We made a moment. That's it. <laughs> um, 
That's a that's a great question though. Who would play me? Let's see. Other than me, probably somebody who we don't know yet. I want somebody else to get a chance. There's a lot of big names already out there. Let somebody else get a get a nice meaty role and do something cool. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is that's a great answer. And if you listen to one of the podcasts with another one of our Visa colleagues, I got a similar answer from from him on that one. I, I think it's great to think about how do you. How do you invest in someone that is is hasn't made it yet? And again, it, it plays more to your story and how you were able to make that way and, and kind of carve out your own own path. This one may be a little bit easier, but what song would play in the trailer of that movie? Oh, see, this is where my nerdy side comes in because you know my mine is is I'm either going to go cliche. And lean okay. in and say, okay. like, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a Bob Marley song. It's going to be something, you know, we're going to touch the roots here a little bit, something like that. Okay. Or or this movie is going to be some epic, you know, you know, dramatic thing. And I, I need like I need Hans Zimmer. I need something like, <laughs> you know, I need something that really yeah. like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, <this> is, yeah. <laughs> it okay. sets the tone quick. So in, in the writing and the acting and some of the stuff I do, like I tend to be a much more, you know, score type person. So okay. like Hans Zimmer, you know, John Williams, like okay. I, I can name names that people probably won't know, but those are big ones. So yeah. those are the kind of things I listen to and get influenced a lot when I'm writing. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I'm drawn to. So I, I'm a huge fan of stories. I think it's like our unique way of connecting with people and learning from people. It's, it's why I do the podcast. But but for you, if there were three people, they could be with us, they could have passed, that you could sit with and hear their story firsthand, who would be your three? It's hmm. a tough one. You know, I'm going to give this answer. And usually, you know, I have, there's a question that I like to ask people that's similar to this. And when they ask in return, I give one of these answers. And a lot of people think it's because of a religious angle, but it's more because I'm truly interested to know, like, what the story must have been like. You know, I say, Jesus, mm-hmm. um, just because it's, you know, I, I am a spiritual person, not exactly a deeply religious person, but the story is just so wild and crazy and unique and has had such ramifications that have echoed out mm-hmm. throughout history. I would love to hear, you know, the real, the perspective of the, the person himself. Yeah. Let's see. Outside of that, you know, prior to, prior to him, him going off the deep end, which is, you know, unfortunately kind of genius and madness sort of walk it hand in hand person. I always looked up to or, or like watched his, the history of the person was Howard Hughes. Mm. Um, interesting guy, you know, yeah. like yeah. all over the place, you know, building the fast, the first jet planes, building camera equipment, movies like Playboy, mm-hmm. like just, you know, the the actual, the Iron Man before the Iron Man, just an interesting person. And let's see one more. See, I should have done, I should have, I should have tried to consider these before you asked me. <laughs> I, have to think of, I have to think of one more on the fly. Hmm. Let's see here. You know what? This would be an interesting one. So they just did an anime on this guy, which, you know, doesn't really touch on his real story. And Michael B. Jordan wanted to make a movie of this guy's life. Um, He was the first and only actual African samurai, Yasuke. It would be very interesting to be able to talk to him. He was a slave. And when the missionaries went to Japan, you know, the, the, 
the emperor, I believe it was the emperor or one of the feudal lords, saw him and was very confused about this person with this dark black skin. And like literally had his had his people try to like wash his skin off because they thought he was dirty. And it was like a whole thing. And he basically convinced the missionaries to like give them this guy to like stay. And then he got trained and became one of like his greatest warriors. Um, It's a story most people don't know, but it's a real story. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It'd be real interesting to be able to talk to that guy. Yeah. See his uh, lens history. Yeah. Yeah. I had never heard that. That is definitely a fascinating one. Most people have never heard of him. They did it. They did an anime that's on Netflix. That's, you know, obviously it takes a lot of liberties and it's kind of crazy, but uh, yeah, yeah, Michael B. Jordan has wanted to make his movie. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. So is there anything I didn't ask that you want to share or anything you want to ask me? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a great vehicle. You know, what got you into doing these? Like, yeah. um, Yeah. It, so lots of it's evolved i'll say so this is season three my reason season one is is still in the same direction but slightly different than where we are now but i you know at the heart of my heart i I truly believe that we as a people can only be as empathetic to those that we have proximity to and in the world we live in today thanks to technology we can be closer to a lot more people but we sometimes are only doing that with the community of folks that look like us and I think there's a huge opportunity, especially in the in the podcast sector, to connect with people in ways that you've never even thought of. You know, like right now we're talking into someone's ear that may be on a, you know, they may be on a bus, they may be on a plane, they may be driving. Like literally, we're connecting with people as they're listening to us in a way that I think is so authentic. It's so transparent. It's so easy to understand what we're talking about. And so I, I just think this is a, both from a a format standpoint, but also from the opportunity to connect with people in ways that they probably didn't realize we connect with them is just a huge opportunity. And so for me, the time spent doing it, it always pays out because I, I get, you know, emails, I get calls, like literally I was going down the hall the other day at, at the visa office and someone stopped me. It was like, Hey, I listened to the last podcast. It was so great. Blah, blah, blah. And if I, if I'm honest, like I, I didn't even know who it was. And, and so it's like one of those things where it's just like, you don't think about how a lot of these great stories, which, you know, you're sharing with us, how it's going to impact someone. And so if I can be a, again, a teacher or a vehicle to help impact people in that way, then to me, it's a, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Well, it's a great concept. I hope, I hope it keeps growing and keeps, uh, you know, keep telling more great stories and connecting more people. So it's also, it's also a digital record. It's a digital record of, you know, Copeland's story was told on this day and and it'll forever, you know, be in in the interwebs and people got to pull it down. We can make this into an NFT. Cause you know, I'm (laughs) on the crypto team now. Like this is all we do. This is like, yeah, I may need your expertise <laughs> on that to go a little bit further, but I, I like I like the thinking. I like the thinking. But before I let you go, get back to your busy day. If anybody listening wanted to follow your story a little bit closer, they want to know more about where you're up to. Where should I send them? No man. Well, you know, obviously, you might have looked at my LinkedIn, which not a lot going on there. Um, <laughs> you guys can go check out my LinkedIn because I swear to you, I'm going to be you know updating it and actually putting the things that I've done in my life on there at some point. There's my LinkedIn, you know, Copeland Bryan. You'll be able to find that Instagram, cop c o p Bryan b r y a n. 
Um, it's a little bit slice of life stuff. Don't be surprised about some of the medieval skits and some <laughs> of the other funny stuff you might see on there. To give you context, I write with Jimmy Kimmel's son, Kevin Kimmel. We actually have a couple TV shows and movies that we've written, and that medieval stuff that you might see is um, one of the pilot, like some of the some of the pieces from the pilot that we actually filmed. So, <laughs> but yeah, you can get me on a uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. You know, That's awesome. And, uh, that's awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on, sharing and, and giving the the wisdom that you share with kind of how you've been able to navigate your journey. That's, again, completely diverse perspectives, completely you know resilient and, and been able to, to make a way in all the things that you've touched on. So appreciate that. Great. Awesome. Copeland's story is far from over, and I'm sure he'll continue to go on to do many great things. And hopefully all of us will have the good fortune to to watch and, and cheer him on. But it was really great to hear the behind the scenes on many of his accomplishments and, and accolades. And it, it almost it made them even more to to celebrate in, in terms of what he's been able to do when you when you hear what he he went through and, and you know the hard work that he talked about and seeking challenges and, and overcoming obstacles. But the, the three things that I, I took away from our conversation is is one how he trained his mind to build things. And, you know, even as early as building a haunted house in his, in his parents' backyard, um, and then going on to, you know, pursue aero, aeronautics and engineering and, and, and the likes as he, he went to university. Um, but then now he's, he's, you know, he's building his network and, and doing other things, you know, post his uh, NFL career. And I, and I think that what's, what's really important about that is, it's almost become a transferable skill for him that really helps him connect dots and, and see patterns that others may not see because he's, he's, he's trained his, his mind to see those things. The second thing that we both agreed on and, and, and touched on a little bit was it's never too early to start your personal brand. And no matter where you are in your journey, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how experienced or unexperienced you may feel, Start today if you haven't, and and just ensure that you're investing in that over time because there's so many tools out there right now that can help you with this that didn't exist, you know, ten years, five years ago. And so it's just an encouragement to anyone listening: take a little bit of time, carve out in your calendar, your schedule over the weekend, and and invest in your personal brand. And then the last thing is I can't help but notice that. His parents had a diversity of their experience, which led him to collect a diverse set of experience that were largely driven by his interests, which, as he shared, it wasn't just about football. Yes, he enjoyed the sport. Yes, he enjoyed the the challenge of competing at the highest levels, but he had so many other interests that he's been able to pursue and follow, and those have ultimately allowed him to thrive in ambiguous and you know, maybe some unclear situations because he's got those experiences and those skill sets to pull from. So I think that's just something for us to consider that go on and, and, and take that class or, or participate in that forum that may not be tied to your main thing or may not be tied to what you're ultimately trying to get to because you never know how it's going to contribute in a unique way. Until next time, I encourage you as always to continue to share your story it's so important, not only for you, but for others to hear your story. And if you have any feedback or any comments about any of the podcasts, 
feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at all of the social channels at Matt E. Story, or you can go to my website, www.mattestory.com. 